2: all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition.
0: I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid
2: more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. (laughs) As a man, I just, I don't get it.
0: Welcome to to smartpeoplepodcast.com.
2: Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here, so excited to have you. Let me ask you a question Do you work? Like, do you have a job? Because if you do, then you are almost certainly going to fully understand and enjoy this episode. Like, I'm not sure if you're aware. I don't know if you even listen to these things, but we are on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash smart people podcast and you can join our crew. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's just a website where for two, five, 10 bucks a month, you can support us so we can continue to grow, create great content. But let me tell you some of the things you get in return and why I'm telling you this now. As a Patreon supporter, you can tell us what topics you want covered on the show. Think about what you're struggling with. Is it parenting? Because that's what we covered last week. Is it motivation, resilience? Are you interested in volcanoes? I mean, think about it. Just by supporting us for as little as $2 a month, you can reach out and say, Hey, I'd love to hear about this topic. Well, the reason I'm telling you is we had a supporter reach out to us and say, Chris, look, I don't know if you can do this, but one of the most annoying parts of my job is sitting in useless meetings. I'd love to learn. How to change that. How do we run better meetings? What's the point of them? Are they useful? And you know what we did? We went out and found the world's expert on meetings. Now, I'm not kidding you. Our guest this week, Dr. Steven Rogelberg, has been studying the science of meetings for 20 years. In fact, he just wrote a book at the beginning of this year called The Surprising Science of Meetings, How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance. And that my friends is what we're discussing on the show today. So head on over to patreon.com smartpeoplepodcast smart people podcast, sign up. Not only do you get great perks, like you can recommend shows to us, but you also can get things like ad free episodes. And once we get to, I think we're doing 25 supporters at this point, we're going to go back to weekly episodes. So you get twice as much smart people in your lives. All right, so this week, as I mentioned, we're covering the surprising science of meetings. Look, I travel all around the country working with various organizations. In fact, I'm leaving in about an hour to go to Texas tonight for a two-day workshop on productivity. The number one thing I hear is how annoying emails are. Maybe we should have an episode on that. Actually, that's a great idea. The second thing I hear is how annoying meetings are. So it was just so great that this topic came together. Somebody reached out and I said, you know what? Let's definitely cover it. So when we had Steven on, I wanted to talk to him about what makes a good meeting. When do we not need to go to a meeting? What are some ways we can shorten our meetings? And much, much more. Dr. Steven Rogelberg holds the title of Chancellor's Professor at UNC Charlotte. He's a professor of organizational science, management, and psychology, as well as the Director of Organizational Science. He has over a hundred publications and over a hundred invited speeches addressing issues such as team effectiveness, leadership engagement, employee well-being, and more. He completed his PhD in industrial organizational psychology at the University of Connecticut and received his undergrad degree from Tufts University. Not only is he a smart guy, but again, talking about something we all deal with and we all struggle with. Let us know what you think. Let us know what your struggles are. Join the community, and again, you can support us and recommend guests at patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoy. Here it is, our episode with Steven Rogelberg as we talk about the surprising science of meetings. Enjoy. Your book is called The Surprising Science of Meetings. Just to start us off, I would like you to tell us what is the number one surprise that you have uncovered when researching the science
1: of meetings? That's a fun question, and I've been doing research on this topic for around 20 years, and I would say that what's surprising is the fact that there is a science of meetings. (laughs) Um, I think people are surprised when they learn that I do meeting science. And that this is a rich science that we can draw upon to really move the dial on this, on the vexing challenge of meetings. That's such a great
2: point because I got to admit that did occur to me. I'm going science of meetings. But when I looked into it further, really, this is about the science of human interaction, human engagement, human motivation. How did that all shape up? And how did you even uncover that it was a science in the first place?
1: There has been, um, research on teams and groups for decades and, um, but what interests me was to try to make meetings into a foreground topic, um, you know, feature it front and center and try to identify meaningful questions that are unique to meetings. And but what really drew me to the topic was people's frustration. You know, meetings are just one of those areas where everyone's experiencing um, incredible—I mean, just they're upset and pretty miserable. And as an organizational scientist, that's the type of topic that I'm most attracted to. And so that's what kind of brought me into studying it. And there really is a lot to draw upon.
2: Well, I can't wait to get into it, because as I was mentioning before we started recording— you know I go to companies every week, different companies, you know, probably about a hundred workshops a year. And it is amazing. the number one hot button, the thing that people just are seething over, is meetings. And personally, I don't understand why. I mean, I know you can have good and bad meetings, but to me, oftentimes they seem necessary. So I cannot wait to get into it, but I want to, I want to start here. You have a very impressive resume. I know you're the director of the organizational science PhD program at UNC Charlotte. Um, You've written this great book. You, you know, you've been studying for a long time. You've won some awards on it. Tell us a little bit about how you got into all this in the first place. What excites you about understanding work, if you will.
1: So, you know, for me personally, um, I'm attracted to studying topics, that seem most problematic at work. Um, and so that that's what kind of drew me into it. As an organizational scientist, our focus is on individual and organizational health, well-being, and effectiveness. And so there's lots of different ways of approaching that. Some people examine individuals and their characteristics, others examine teams and groups, others examine leadership, how organizations can be structured. Um, Why I moved into so strongly into meetings is that, uh, there are approximately 55 million meetings a day in the U S uh, that's a lot. Um, and at the same time, meetings are identified as the number one time waster, um, at work. And when you think of that juxtaposition, tons of meetings, tons of frustration, you can conclude that we're living and dying in meetings, but I saw it differently. I saw it as a great opportunity. Um that we can do something really positive to help address you know this challenge. Um, because after all, the elimination of meetings is a false solution. Uh, we need meetings. We need mm. meetings to um, coordinate, communicate, have consensus decision making. In many regards, organizational democracy takes place in meetings. So the elimination of meetings is a false goal, but the elimination of bad meetings is the true goal. And that's what really brought me in.
2: 55 million meetings a day. How
1: does one even calculate that? Yeah. <laughs> so there there have been um, a number of estimates. You know, one, one um, practice is, you know, just kind of sampling individuals and, you know, asking them their meeting activity mm-hmm. based on their outlook calendars or something like that. Uh, we can get a typical week and then extrapolate to, you know, 48 work weeks or what have you. Um, So there's different ways of sampling. And so we've had estimates based on a day and then you can extrapolate forward. We have estimates based on a week. You extrapolate forward, um, et cetera. So most of the data seems to converge that there's a heck of a lot of meetings.
2: Yeah, it really is. And when you think about the time involved, my next question then is, You mentioned meetings in and of themselves aren't bad. And that was the thing I really wanted to start with coming into this, because in my opinion, meetings are just a term for work. I mean, I've been in all kinds, good and bad, but most of the time they're not completely useless. The reason the meeting is called is at least seemingly necessary and people are doing work in them. So talk to us a little bit about what you've uncovered about the benefits of meetings first.
1: Well, there's lots of potential benefits. Um, You know, the fact is that there is a potential synergistic effect, you know, where there's a, the some kind of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So there, the research generally suggests that 15% of the time, what emerges in a interaction in a meeting is unexpected and goes beyond individual talent. So something fantastic can happen. It's similar to, you know, when the U.S. beat Russia in the Olympics, right? And we had college kids playing, they outperformed what they would have been individually expected to do and the whole was greater than the parts. That can happen in meetings. We could do something amazing. So they have the potential for great innovation, uh, creativity, inclusion, engagement, um, you know, commitment, buy-in, So there's lots of really amazing things that can come from meetings.
2: Now let's move into this idea of it being essentially the number one time waster. I'm really curious about that because as a productivity teacher, I get to see firsthand what people quote unquote waste their time on. And I would imagine that people spend perhaps the most time in meetings because if you have three and they're an hour, that's three hours but wasting time assumes that they're not beneficial. Whereas you might only spend an hour on social media, but all of it's a waste. Or we might spend three hours in our inbox, but only one email we send is necessary. So talk to us a little bit about this idea of wasting time in meetings.
1: I would say that people's experiences in meetings are lumpy. You know, where you could certainly have moments. Um, our research generally suggests that, you know, you often find 50% of time in meetings being identified as a good use of time. Um, and so I think people definitely see that there's value. My, my sense though, is that the time that's not considered valuable is just a source of great frustration Mm -hmm. because you're inherently captive. And I think that's the, Uh the key differentiator. If you're doing individual work and some of it is wasteful, fine. You're not captive. You could actually stop and move to something else. But when we are in a meeting, we are captive. The leader is in control. We do not have that control. And when something is bad and we don't have control, I think that's where the strong feelings emerge. See, I knew you'd have the
2: great answer. I mean, that really is so true. As soon as you say we're being held captive, I just had almost literal flashbacks of the hundreds of meetings I've been part of and oftentimes you're right you're in there going I could be doing so much more right now except pretending to listen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. What have you found are the things that are most problematic with meetings? Just give us the rundown and I'm sure there's many.
1: Well, I'll I'll share a major one and then we can explore different pieces throughout our conversation. Perfect. Uh, But really, meeting success hinges with the leader. Um, The leader is in control of the experience. The leader has chosen who to be there. Um, The design, um, all the various pieces um, is inherently under control of the leader. And this is where the problem kicks in, in that the best estimates suggest that only around 20% of leaders ever receive any training on how to lead a meeting. So they don't necessarily know how to do it. And typically, they just kind of recycle the practices that they've experienced by others who also did not know how to do it. So they lack good uh, skills to effectively run these meetings. And then there's the second piece, which is we find in the research that one person tends to leave a meeting with, an, with a positive perception of it. You want to guess who's most satisfied with a meeting? Mm, Leader. Leader. Yes. The meeting (laughs) leader. So, and this shouldn't surprise us when you are in control and you're talking a lot, then you tend to think something is going well. Um, and so now you have a a leader who's unskilled and has, and yet thinks they're good at something. That's a horrible combination. Mm -hmm. And with given that these leaders often don't approach meetings by making careful choices. So many of the meeting leadership practices are dialed in. Um, for example, research on agendas suggests that around 50% of agendas are just this recycled. They're the exact same thing, meeting after meeting. Um, and so fundamentally, the biggest problem with meetings is they're not designed meaningfully and purposefully by the leader. Um, they just happen habitually. And a good way of contrasting it is you know, think about this podcast. You planned and prepared it, right? Mm-hmm. You thought about the questions and the order. Think about when you do a workshop or a presentation. You plan, you think about it, you consider the attendees. And this these are the those thoughtful planning, thinking activities are just not typically applied when it comes to meetings.
0: It's time for a sponsor break. This week's episode is brought to you by Bombus. How often do you think about your socks? If you're like I used to be, Not much. But I recently discovered socks that changed the way I'll think about socks forever. They're called Bombas. Listen, I'm wearing my Bombas right now. I love them so much. I've got the men's solid ankle socks in charcoal, and honestly, they're the most comfortable pair of socks I've ever owned. I typically don't think about my socks, but now I find myself thinking, my God, these are comfortable. Quite simply, Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They're made from super soft, natural cotton, and every pair comes with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's comfy, but not too thick. With many colors, patterns, lengths, and styles, Bombas look great in the gym, at the office, and out on the town. Bombas are what feet daydream about. And for every Bombas purchase you make, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. You want these socks, here's how you get them. Buy your Bombas at bombas.com slash smart and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash smart for 20% off. One last time, that's bombas.com slash smart. And now back to the episode. That's so true. We just get... You know, I think oftentimes
2: we say, okay, I'm going to get these people in the room. And we kind of think about who's there, but we use the approach of more is better. And then we assume I have a topic and we're going to discuss it and we're going to solve it. And that's it. That's the extent of the planning. And we don't take that type of approach in almost anything else in the business environment. Why is that?
1: Yeah. So we don't. Um, another good example is meetings with customers. You know, we don't dial that in. We give that thought mm, as well. You're right. Um, you know, I think when it comes down to, you know, workplace meetings, um, a spotlight has not been shined on it. And at the same time, organizations do not have any feedback and accountability systems. Uh, so if you, reach out to talent management executives in our Fortune 100 and ask them, how many of you have built into your employee engagement surveys content around meetings? I can almost guarantee you that you will not have more than one hand up. Mm. And when you think about this, given how many millions of meetings there are and organizations are not having um, accountability and feedback systems in place, then basically these bad practices just keep perpetuating themselves over time. But if an organization, um, you know, did have some type of content, let's say in meetings on their engagement survey, then you would start being able to report out on meeting effectiveness at uh, division levels and department levels. And then leaders would be held accountable for them. And then leaders would say, hey, how can I move the dial on this? How can I get better? And next thing you know, people aren't just dialing it in. They're taking it seriously. Um, and they're buying my book because they they would say, Hey, that's a good path forward. Yeah. But then, you know, but I will say that, you know, I, I do think that my book's success on the, in the market is a function that I think people, organizations are starting to recognize that building accountability, um, and really trying to kind of change things, um, I think there's more of an appetite than ever. There's so many things a leader is judged on
2: or evaluated on, right? How the people feel, how the how much money you're making, revenue, sales, you know, uh, turnover, all these things. But when it comes to how people feel about meetings, everybody knows they don't like them. I mean, it's that might be a broad brush, but most of the time people are like, yeah, we have to have meetings, but they're not that good. But that because it's an assumption, it's that this is how it has to be nobody has to take any accountability for it in the first place. I really enjoy that. So if you were talking to, as you probably are, I mean, there's thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people listening, the leaders of the world, what's the first thing you would say to them that they can go do tomorrow to make their meetings better?
1: So there are a constellation of things that folks can do. What's different about my book is that I did not create it as a prescription to good meetings. I didn't Write it such that it's, it, I say, hey, first do this, then do this, then do this, then do that. Because that's actually not going to work out for you. Um, how I wrote this book was saying, here are a variety of tools. And there's lots of different approaches that you can take. And I want, you to be, I want you to be deliberate. I want you to make careful choices based on who you are as a leader, what your goals are, and who your attendees are. So really, the main piece of advice to leaders is to make choices and be purposeful. Think about all the various ways a meeting can be done. And let me give you uh, an example. So you can find books that say, hey, step one, have an agenda. Well, that's actually not good advice. (laughs) Our research shows that having an agenda in of itself does nothing for meeting effectiveness. What matters is how that agenda is created. Did you consult others? Um, how is it ordered? And most importantly, what, what's, what are the topics that actually made the agenda? And finally, how is the agenda facilitated? Did you really get inclusion and engagement? Those are the things that will become predictive. Mm. So um, so I guess to kind of summarize, I, I, don't, I, I don't believe it's do A, do B, do C, but make choices about A, B, and C, and here are a variety of options to consider.
2: I think the best way to proceed is I have uh, you know a number of things about meetings, just that I'd love to know through the science, through what you've uncovered, what, uh, what should we be doing? So the, okay. the first thing I want to start with is how do we know if a meeting is the right way to proceed with an issue versus an email versus doing it on our own or a Slack or something like that? what's a, what's a good way to determine if a meeting is necessary?
1: Good. Uh, so basically, um, I will give, um, let me, I'll, I'll share one example. Um, and that way you have lots of time to ask more questions, but I'm happy to go more (laughs) in depth on anything. So I'll, I'll follow your lead here. Uh, so one, one way and something I'm particularly keen on is thinking about your agendas, not as a set of topics to be discussed, but instead as a set of questions to be answered. And if you think of an agenda as a set of questions to be answered and you create these questions, well, A, you know who to invite, Uh, B, you know if the meeting is successful because the questions have been answered, you know when to end the meeting because the questions have been answered. But most importantly, if you can't generate questions, you shouldn't have the meeting. So that's a fundamental litmus test are there key questions that have to be answered huh and again if they're not key questions then it suggests to you that there might be alternative ways of doing what you need to be need to have done i
2: like that okay so start from the question perspective
1: i think so and i think that's a really nice tangible kind of um approach that meeting leaders can get their arms around
2: all right great so let's assume we now we think through it we go okay i have some questions i need to answer what is the best way to disseminate a meeting invite even or 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 make sure everyone is on the same page about where, when, what, how, et cetera? I guess I'm talking meeting invites
1: here. Okay? Well, certainly technology helps uh, facilitate this whole process. Sure. Um, but you know, I think the key decision points, though, for you in in your question are, you know, A, when should you distribute this information in, um, in advance? When do you need to announce it? Um, and definitely, you know, at least 24 to 72 hours, um, you know, where you're not only inviting people to the meeting, but you're making it clear um, what the meeting's gonna be about so that they have the ability to, you know, prepare and to really determine whether they should be there. Um, then you have this idea of who actually should be invited and this is where the meeting leader really has to think carefully. Uh, And I would typically believe that when you think about who should be there, you basically can put people into two categories. People that have to be there, and maybe people who are kind of more secondary to that. Right now, we tend to invite all those secondary people. And this is where you start to get meeting bloat. And this is highly problematic. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about meeting size later. Oh yeah. But, But basically, those secondary individuals need a way out. And there's a couple ways of doing this. So first of all, the secondary individuals, we could tell them just to show up for part of the meeting and then leave. So perhaps our early agenda items involve a bigger set, but then the latter agenda items involve a smaller set. Um, Second, these secondary members um, can be told about the meeting, but then there's a personal follow-up. And the personal follow up is saying, hey, you know, I wanted to at least let you know about this meeting. I really don't think you have to be there. Um, here's what we're going to talk about. I promise I'll give you the meeting minutes. If you have any um, thoughts on the agenda items, please share them with me. But I want to leave the choice up to you. When you say that, people will typically opt out. They will be happy with the fact that they will be able to be given the minutes. But if you don't have that conversation, or if you don't invite these people initially, it could be problematic. And that one of the things that we find is that while people complain about meetings, if they're not invited, they're often worried. They're worried that maybe they're being marginalized. So we wanna find that sweet spot when we're sending that meeting invite out. Who really needs to be there? Who can we at least acknowledge, address kind of their needs not to feel excluded? And um, but then easily give them a way out.
2: Yeah. And, you know, another really great point there is, although we might give them a way out, oftentimes people feel like, oh, that's a trap, right? Like many leaders I talk to say, yeah, yeah, people can decline or reject it. But have they communicated to their team that truly it is okay to not show up? And even more so, it is encouraged if they feel it's not a
1: good use of your time. Did you run into that in your research? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's a really, I think you're spot on. And so we just want to kind of create a culture where we're always thinking about meetings as having primary and secondary attendees and that, you know, the secondary attendees, we keep our promises. We do indeed give them careful minutes. We do indeed allow them to change their mind at any point but these people are empowered to make choices. Uh, given the agenda, you know, they can say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I don't think it fits, but I trust the meeting leader that when something does come up that's relevant to me, I'm gonna know and I'm gonna be able to you know, have voice. Mm. And as long as we built this culture of trust, you know, we're gonna be able to really decrease unnecessary meeting activity, right? Because any time that you don't have someone at that meeting, you're giving them a gift of time. And that's tremendous. And, you know, today's workplaces are incredibly busy, as you know. So when you can return time back to someone, you know, the gains are fantastic.
0: Quick break from the interview to talk about one of our awesome sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers in 2019, have you asked yourself what you're paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees, you're being taken advantage of because they know you'll pay. Enter Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead and passes those savings directly to you. Listen, I've been on one of the big wireless providers forever, and I was paying, I don't know, $80, $90, $95 a month, which when you think about it, is crazy. Switching over to Mint Mobile has been amazing. I'm paying a fair price for cell service, and the coverage is amazing. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. With Mint Mobile, stop paying for unlimited data you'll never use. Choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan, and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/smart. That's mintmobile.com/smart. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/smart. And now back to the episode.
2: Oh, absolutely! One of the the number one things I'll say to to leaders is you know, actively tell people, hey, we are eliminating this meeting every week, and it just shows. Wow, he he really cares about the amount of time I have. Uh, it's not just lip service. So I, I completely agree with you there. Speaking of time, you actually have a really unique way of thinking about the timing of meetings, and I'm I'm curious on why that is. You kind of advocate for
1: this odd timing. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So most meetings are an hour or 30 minutes. And the reason is, is that those are the default settings on your calendar programs. That's not a good reason to have an hour or 30 minute meeting. Um, What meeting leaders need to do is given the goals, given the questions that need to be answered, they need to think carefully, well, how long should that take? And decide on a meeting time. And that meeting time could be 48 minutes. I'm fine with that. Um, It could be 36 minutes. But I want them to think and and choose a time as opposed to allowing one of these calendar programs to um, default to a time. And then once a meeting leader decides on how long a meeting should take, I encourage that meeting leader to dial it back a little bit. We know from research that when you add a little bit of pressure, people tend to be more focused and perform optimally. And so you have this time, you dial it back, you know, next thing you know, you're returning 14 minutes to every individual in that meeting. And that, again, compounded across 55 million meetings is a lot of meetings. And all of this advice is particularly relevant given what we know about Parkinson's law. And Parkinson's law and it's been supported uh, with research is that work expands to whatever time is allotted to it. So if a meeting is scheduled for an hour, it will take an hour. If the meeting is scheduled for two hours. It will take two hours. But if the meeting is scheduled for 48 minutes, it will take 48 minutes.
2: All right. So we've got the timing. We've talked about involvement, et cetera. I do want to touch on, you mentioned meeting bloat. I, I think this is one of the biggest struggles is who should be there because Honestly, everyone I ask says, oh, I don't want to be in meetings that I don't need to be in. But then when I say, well, which ones are those? They don't know. They are scared to miss them. They, they do feel left out. And maybe it's left out from a marginalized standpoint, but maybe it's just left out from the point of I might miss something I need. And so I, I'm really curious, A, is there a an optimal number of attendees and then B, for leaders and for attendees,
1: what's the best way to determine truly
2: if we need to be there? The
1: number of attendees in a meeting um, will vary depending on what you're depending on what you're trying to achieve in the meeting. If it's really about um, discussion and decision making, uh, surpassing eight individuals will be really tricky. Uh, you'll have to be an excellent facilitator to accommodate more than eight. Um, so, I think smaller than eight. Is kind of key for that, you know, more rich discussion oriented. If it's just information oriented, then you know clearly, you know, it doesn't have those types of limits. But we know that, whenever possible, we want to make go for the smallest number of people possible. As meeting size increases, so does dysfunction. As meeting size increases, communication problems um, start to compound. As meeting size increases, just the available time for people to speak individually decreases. As meeting size increases, so does social loafing, which is the idea that we tend to reduce our efforts when we're around lots of people. So leaders have to try to make these things as small as possible. Now, who should not attend? I really believe when you, I think we know the answer to that much Uh, much better than we admit. Mm. I think that when we say, hey, here's the question that needs to be answered, here's the topic, um, we can identify the key people. It's like creating um, an invite list for a wedding. right? When you create an invite list for a wedding, we know who those top 100 people are. (laughs) It's easy, but there's this point of inflection. We say, well, as soon as we invite this person, oh, now we gotta now, I think we have to invite these next set of people. And so we know who the primary and secondary are, but once we start to move a little bit to the secondary, it unlocks a flood of other potential secondary people. And so the key is identify those primary, identify those secondary, but for those secondary, reach out to them, let them know, and then build trust by, you know, assuring them that they're going to have the meaning and it's build trust by, telling them that they can reevaluate the decision at any point, and be sure to invite them to still share input on the, the various topics. When you, give, when you have that conversation with people in that secondary group, they will choose to opt out. But without that conversation, you create problems. You create the concerns, the distrust, the worry, the angst, and it is not at all helpful for the, the culture.
2: Already, I mean, there's so much there's so much thought that goes into it. I just wanted to pause here for a minute and kind of acknowledge I, I would imagine a lot of the reason leaders do this poorly is because they go, it's the same thing everyone else says. I'm so busy. Now you need me to think about the exact people that need to be there. Every question we're answering, how I'm going to facilitate it, who's going to get invited, how they're going to get invited, the timing, the location, all these things. And I've got to have four meetings a day. I'm sure you hear that all the time.
1: What do you tell those leaders? I love the question. It's a fantastic question. And so I would say that, um, A, when you make a little bit of that investment in planning, um, you will be returning time back to others. Mm -hmm. Um, And these activities of being planful, it only takes five minutes. It is not taking much time. Um, But right now people aren't making these choices, but making these choices is not hard. And so I would say it's a very small investment to give everyone a larger return on investment. I will also add that it will ultimately be good for your career to make this investment, namely. As a a leader in an organization, your early promotions can be based on certain talents and skills that you have. But over time, your ability to get promoted and not derail is going to be tied to your ability to effectively leverage and engage your teams. And your ability to effectively lead meetings is critical to that ability to engage those around you. Thus, being good at doing meetings not only helps others, but it directly helps you. Your success will be better assured by getting good at this. So like anytime you teach someone some productivity tips, yeah, at first it seems unnatural, but it will soon become natural, it will become quicker and more efficient and more effective to engage in this, and then you'll start um, reaping all kinds of positive dividends. What's different about this is not only will you earn positive dividends, but all those around you will as well.
2: We do, we get caught up in this mode of there's so much to do and I just need to execute before thinking. And we fail to realize the opportunity cost. Like you said, if, if a leader spends 20 minutes planning for a 30-minute meeting, or 30 minutes planning for a 30-minute meeting, which you're saying is, is a lot of time, but say they do, yeah, that's going to feel like a lot of time. But if there's 10 people in that meeting, the kind of exponential time savings is what really matters. And like you said, the morale, the what comes from the meeting. So it's really such a great, a great point. There's two other things I have for you that I think are not just critical, but they are a little more difficult. I wanna to touch on this idea of technology, remote meetings. I mean, frankly, I can't even keep up. You've got Zoom, you've got Slack. Everyone has their different chat functions now. You've got these FaceTimes, you've got Google Meet. you've got Hangouts, so many different ways. And I realize, look, technology I think is helping. People can work from home and we can save commute time, but it also changes meetings in and of themselves. So. First, what did you uncover about kind of technology and remote meetings and their impact on productivity and the ability to get things done?
1: The technology can be a tremendously positive tool, but fundamentally, we need to make sure that the person leading the meetings knows how to lead a meeting. Um, Otherwise, having a great gadget doesn't do much for you. So the... The critical skills of meeting leadership, which we've talked talked about talked about, are fundamental to making these tools work for you. And without it, it's going to be problematic. With that said, um, having these tools uh, certainly unleashes a whole host of positive consequences. Um, you know, the fact that uh, we can use Zoom, for example, to engage with people visually um, is a wonderful thing. Um, and so these tools have. They make the world feel smaller, uh, give people that necessary contact. Um, so lots of really positive things can come from it. But at the same time, when you, you, when you have a remote meeting, uh, new forms of dysfunction can emerge. Uh, I'll give you one example. Our research generally shows that when you ask people what's the uh, most dysfunctional meeting type, they will say a virtual meeting. But if I ask them what meeting type do you prefer, <laughs> They will often say a virtual meeting and, you know, and clearly you get it because you're you're laughing yeah. and, and the joke is people prefer it because they can multitask exactly. and do other things. Well, that's very problematic. That's a bad state of affairs. Um, so a meeting leader, when they have a, a remote meeting, uh, they're going to have to um, expand their tool set even more so. Uh, they're going to have to fully embrace their role as an air traffic controller uh, where they constantly call people out by name, that they keep a tally of who's contributing and who's not, and they're making sure that they're getting everyone um, involved. Uh, they're going to need to make sure they don't feature themselves in that conversation, but recognize that they are facilitating. Uh, they're going to want to make sure that everyone um, is attending uh, visually, Um through video that's going to be critical to prevent some of that social loafing that we mentioned earlier. They're going to make sure that that meeting um, actually is slated to start five minutes earlier. So the expectation is everyone has resolved any technology issues um, before the meeting actually starts. Uh, They're going to uh, even consider banning the mute button. And now that sounds kind of crazy, but think about what the mute button enables um, for the most part, people want to be on mute so they can do other work, so they can type at their keyboard, so they can eat their lunch, um, they can do a whole host of other things that aren't related to a meeting. Well, in, in workplaces, this is not acceptable, right? Oh, We're asking yeah, yeah, people yeah. physically present to actually be physically, you know, to be mentally present. They have to be in a room. They have to just, they have to be in a quiet space. They're not eating their sandwich during a meeting. Uh, They're not taking care of their dog during a meeting. And so I like this idea of occasion, you know, of, of metaphorically and often sometimes not metaphorically banning the mute button because it basically changes the conversation to be, hey, if you're having a meeting remote, you find yourself in a quiet place where you're not doing other things. Um, and then I would also say that in general, remote meetings need to be much shorter. Uh, people's concentration span when it comes to uh, executing remote is just not as high. And so our meetings have to be tighter. Um, we really need to plan them more carefully and um, you know, let, let people off the proverbial hook. And
0: now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Have you ever thought about talking to someone but are unsure of where to start? BetterHelp makes it easy to connect with a licensed professional counselor, caring professionals specializing in the issues that you want to talk about. Join BetterHelp and get help at your own time and at your own pace. Schedule secure video and phone sessions or text your therapist worldwide, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's a truly affordable option, and Smart People podcast listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code SMART. If you've been wanting to talk, you can get started right now. Go to BetterHelp.com slash SMART. Simply fill out the questionnaire and get matched with the counselor you'll love. That's BetterHelp.com slash SMART, and use offer code SMART to get 10% off your first month. And now back to the episode.
2: You know, I don't really have a lot of meetings because of the nature of my work, but a number of my friends work in just standard corporate, you know, these big accounting firms and consultant firms. And uh, we'll go play golf during the week. And no joke, they'll take calls from the golf course and they'll mute it. And it's a 30 minute call and they'll play golf for 25 minutes. And they'll, they'll, they'll say, okay, we need to stop for a sec. Uh, it's going to be my turn. And they'll get on and talk for three or four minutes and boom. And it cracks me up, right? And I've, I've yeah. done it too. My point though is there is some necessity there, right? So these folks didn't need to hear the previous 20 minutes or didn't need to actively hear it. We get that. But they also didn't know when they were going to be called upon and they didn't know Uh, or, or, and they did have something that the group needed to know. So how do we solve this issue when you've got 10 people maybe who do need to transmit information, but it's almost just that it's like a a, a transmission of information, not a conversation or even a deep problem solve.
1: Well, um, so there's a variety of different ways of, Potentially approaching it. I'll share one. Uh, so, in the case of your friend, if the content of the meeting itself really wasn't worth listening to, um, then heck, they could just record themselves uh, giving their update and mm-hmm. folks in the meeting could play it. Um, the nice thing is that folks could actually play the update, you know, and again, we can record ourselves really quickly. They can play it in one and a half times speed. Uh, we're able to uh, listen much faster than people speak. So we could get this person's download of information very efficiently. I so love that, that one- by
2: the way. I just want to pause there. I love that because I listen to a boatload of podcasts and I always listen on at least one and a half sure. time speed. And I, I actually think about people listening to me on one and a half time speed. And at first it feels a little, uh, it just doesn't feel
1: right. But then I realize it's just efficiency. So I sure. <laughs> thanks for that. Yeah, sure. So So that's one thing. Um, the second thing is you could time the agenda. So basically this person could be told at this particular time they're going to have, they're going to jump in and share their thoughts. Um, that's another potential solution. Um, and there's, that's not hard to implement. Um, and then um, if really the goal is just that this, that your, you know, your friend is on the phone in case someone has a question, um, oh my gosh, that's pretty much rude, right? To, to hold this individual captive for yeah. that amount of time. Uh, so, you know, what I think is, you know, you basically, if, if it's a situation where your friend needs to stay in the loop, then, you know, she or he can read, um, the minutes that are produced and if they have questions about it or someone wants to follow up with them, they, they can. Uh, so I think that there would be a number of ways of approaching that situation, but it's certainly not, it's not overly functional that you have attendees who are playing golf during a meeting. Right. I think. Okay. I think that's a coping mechanism. That's a symptom of dysfunctional meeting practices. And I think that is suggesting that we need to change how we're approaching these meetings so that when, um, when your friend is being asked to attend a meeting, well, she attends the meeting and she's present. But if the person doesn't need to be there, then they truly don't have to be there.
2: Yeah. No, I love that. And I will say the company I work for now, the, the thing they do so well is they not only record all meetings, then send out not detailed minutes, but hey, at, at this point you're gonna hear from this person, at this point you're gonna hear from this person. And they actively encourage you to simply listen to the recordings. Now that's a function of our work. We're always traveling. We we're in workshops all day, etc. But it also, you know, if you are just a passive participant that needs the info but needs it at your own rate, man, the time savings, the flexibility is so useful. And so I really think to sum all this up and and let you go here, a lot of it comes down to we need to be thinking about meetings differently. Yes, there are tips, there are tricks, there are things. You go so in-depth in your book, but it's let's start realizing at 55 million meetings a day, the cost of every minute that is not useful and almost the negative implication of people's
1: engagement. Chris, I've done a lot of podcasts a lot of television work and I would say your summary is the very best I've heard. Hey. You, you nailed it. Wow. You nailed it. I really that, that appreciate is, that. You said it exactly right. Steve. Um, thank you.
2: No, thank you. I, 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 was so excited to have you on. I really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. And for our listeners, I mean, the book is blowing up and I, I talk about it in the intro, but, and I'm sure you're doing multiple interviews. So I want to make sure I let you go. But before I do that, um, Let us know, you know, we will, of course, link to the book. It's the surprising science of meetings, how you can lead your team to peak performance. But you also, there's articles out there. You, you're on uh, social media. Tell us where we can go if I'm a leader or even a participant to learn more about this and take it to my team and, and really do what I'm sure you want this book to do, which is not just be purchased, but to change the way people work.
1: Yeah, uh, thank you for that question. And I would say that the there's a few places to go. Uh, so, my website is StephenRogelberg.com. So, that's really simple. Um, also, you could go to the surprising science.com. Uh, so, either one of those will, will lead you to. Um, my, my content, um, a lot of the podcast interviews, as well as links to uh, various articles I've done. Uh, so those would be terrific places. Um, I also have, I invest most of my uh, social media time on LinkedIn. So I would definitely love to connect with individuals. Uh, just throw in uh, the name Steven Rogelberg into LinkedIn and, and we'll, we'll meet up that way. Um, but I try to keep uh, stevenrogelberg.com uh, really fresh um, with all kinds of content, because as you, as you noted, you know, I'm really, I'm very grateful and fortunate that it is blowing up and there's, you know, constantly new pieces coming out in the wall street journal and Harvard business review. And so I'd love to, uh, for folks to be able to check them out.
2: And I I just want to highlight also in the book, you, it's not just something to read. I mean, you have active, here's some things you can do. Here's some worksheets and, and, and basically there are tools in there as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, definitely. I, I mean I tried to find the sweet spot um, of a call to action, um, a call to uh, diligence and changing how we think about meetings, but then also um, providing a whole a whole host of options and tools and approaches uh, that leaders can can consider. Perfect. Well,
2: again Stephen, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for you know taking and tackling this issue, which again I see everywhere. So uh, I appreciate the insight.
1: Oh, it's really been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for reaching out.
0: An interview that's near and dear to my heart. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Steven Rogelberg. His book, The Surprising Science of Meetings, How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance, is available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. If you'd like to support the show, there are so many ways that you can help us out. You can head over to our Amazon page, located at Amazon. You can pledge support on Patreon at patreon.com smartpeoplepodcast, or you can head over to iTunes and Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, please head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. That's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned We've got a lot of great interviews coming up and we'll see you all next episode.